Welcome, everybody, to the Nurse Leader Network. I am your host, Chris Racinos, and I'm going to walk you back in time today. I want you to close your eyes, unless you're driving. If you're driving, please do not close your eyes. And I want you to picture this. It is a cold and windy October evening in 1857. And I know none of you could picture that probably because we were nowhere near creation. Neither were our grandparents in 1857. But let's take us back to 1857. And on that cold, windy day, you know, while dinner was brewing and the laundry was boiling on the stove to be cleaned, a woman sat down and and took out her lamp and she put that lamp on the table. And she was trying to figure out how do we look at all of the things that are happening in terms of this medical data that we have and how do we create some type of analysis to understand it. And lo and behold, the pie chart, or in those days was called the polar diagram, was born. That story was actually a true story. Um, I don't know about the October winter evening night, but that was a story of the very (laughs) first nursing inventor, Florence Nightingale. And so that's just kind of a little teaser as to what's to come. We're going to talk to a really cool uh, inventor today. So hold on to your shorts and get ready for an amazing episode. Welcome to the Nurse Leader Network podcast with your host, Chris Racinos. Wherever you're going on your nurse leader journey, we're here to help you get there. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that little taking you back into time uh, over a century ago. Today's guest is none other than the Brian Mojica, CEO and founder of Cathware. Welcome, Brian. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. All right, Brian. So you are officially a nurse inventor. Um, and I just want to hear your entire story. Tell me from, you know, how did you decide to go into nursing and what led you to inventing Cathware? Well, one time at band camp. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, no, I I got out of the Air Force and I knew I wanted to be in the medical field. I just didn't understand how to go about doing it. I hated college. I hated science in high school, which is why I went into the military. Uh, but after uh, the military, went and uh, set a bunch of short-term goals uh, for myself, became a phlebotomist, a uh, medical assistant. Then I got my degree in, I earned my degree in radiology was working in the operating room. And that was when I had my a close encounter, if you will, with nurses as I was working at interventional radiology. And I realized a vast difference in uh, job titles and, and job descriptions. Until that point, I didn't realize that what I was looking for in a career was all of it was found in the role of a nurse. I just thought, you know, working in, in the hospital, Everybody has, um, you know, close proximity with patients and things like that. And you do, but not, uh, not really um, in a professionally intimate relationship with a patient as a nurse does. And as I was working in the interventional radiology suite, I saw nurses sedating patients and monitoring them, getting to know the family, getting into their medical history and, you know, taking them to PACU and all that other stuff. Uh, sneaking in a little coffee here and there in between. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I learned the hard way. And that's when I knew that I wanted to go uh, into nursing. And interestingly enough, I had graduated with my degree in radiology after one year 
went into nursing school, a four-year program, graduated top of my class. And while I was in nursing school and also working in radiology, in the interventional radiology suite, I had a vision for, I saw a patient come in with a leg bag on. Um, he was, was setting up the procedure table. He was going to have a double nephrostomy, a tube exchange, uh, which are two tubes that come out of the kidneys, uh, one out of each kidney. And when he was getting onto the procedure table, he had the light bag around his leg. And I just had a vision for cathwear, which is a medical underwear designed for patients that require the use of leg bags. When patients have to wear the leg bag, it slides up and down the leg. The patients tend to over tighten it, uh, can't wear shorts, can't wear a skirt and things like that. So I went home, I went to Walmart, bought some long men's underwear, Went to the arts and crafts store, picked up a bunch of material. My stepmom is a seamstress, and she was making us samples on our kitchen table for about two years. Um, shortly after, I made my first prototype, or we made my first prototype. Uh, we, I, I ended up obtaining a patent for it, went through that whole patent process, and that was a long time ago. As we were speaking before the, the recording started, uh, things take a really long time. That was I had the vision in the operating room in 2012, uh, fully owned the patent in 2013, and it's 2021, and I'm just starting to, to launch the business now onto the international stage in about a year and a half. Wow, that's a crazy journey, and it's one that is so relatable because every single day we are taking care of patients and we sit there and see something that needs to be improved, and so you just took it and like ran with it. So that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, it is. And so I think anybody could become a nurse inventor. You just have to really find a gap in terms of where a solution needs to be had. Now, you talked about it taking a really long time. What took the most amount of time? Like, what do you think it was that caused it to take so long? Is that normal for us to, you know, for inventions to take that long to come to market? Or what do you think? Uh, inexperience, arrogance, pride, ego. Right, thinking. I remember we, the, uh, the American Urology Association, was in Boston in 2017 when we finally formed the company, and it was like they hadn't been in Boston, which is uh, where I'm from, and Cathware is based out of. It was like 20,000 urologists across the earth, right here in Boston, and we were meeting them, and we were shaking hands and kissing babies, as they say. <laughs> You know, I've always liked that line. <laughs> it's a total politician line. <laughs> I love it. Um, you, you know, and we were meeting these doctors and I, all I had was a prototype and it wasn't even a working prototype. And we were meeting the doctors and we were like, yeah, in two months, we're going to send you some samples. Wow. And that's what I mean about arrogance, about ego, about pride. And all three of those are very different. And I, I didn't know what it, how long it was going to take to have something manufactured. So it took us two years from uh, May of 2017 before we had an actual prototype that we could sell, or an actual unit that we could sell. By the time I got back to all of those leads, the doctors didn't even know who we were. And I had to uh, try to uh, you know, rekindle any type of uh, business relationship. And a lot of them, they just lost interest at that point. So the hardest thing that it took for us was understanding the manufacturing process. We were sending samples across the earth. It was like 15 manufacturers at one point. But, you know, it's a medical device. It's something that is close to the patient um, uh, physically, right? Because it's their underwear. So it has to fit right. 
the measurements have to be correct so that none of the features of cathware impede the flow of gravity. So there's no reflux. It had to be the right material. It could it had right material, right measurements, just the right tool for the right job, right? So that really took a long time. Anytime we would get a sample, it was like, oh, this one's great, but if you could just do this and then do this, we didn't know that you needed to have a pattern, uh, you know, and, and things like that. That took a really long time because every time we got it and then we wanted to make a change, we had to mail it. They had to receive it. They had to put it back into their manufacturing queue. Then they had to make it. Then they had to mail it and we had to receive it. So it was about 30 to 45 days each change that we wanted to make. And it took two years. It took a really long time. Wow. It Now that hindsight's like 2020, is there something that you could have done differently to speed it up? Or is that just like the manufacturing yeah. process? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we were we were told at different points um, from uh, Seamstress and, and other local manufacturers, we wanted to make it in the United States, but it's it would have been literally $100 a unit uh, for the patients. And we did, didn't want that. I mean, we're covered by Medicare so that we could make it affordable for them. We didn't want to then go and cost because we're I'm a veteran and we have other veterans in the company. So we wanted to make it here in, in the United States. Uh, but to answer your question directly, what I would have done is I would have listened to what uh, the people were telling us, which was to create a pattern so that the same pattern was going out to all the manufacturers and we were all getting the same one back. But we we just kept saying, like, can you just add just a little more salt? Like, put a little more salt to me. A little more salt to me is, is, is not the same to you. It's very subjective. So that's what I would do. I'd go back and I'd make the pattern as, as, as we were told. When we finally made the pattern, we were able to, to, to accelerate the process a little bit. But at the time, you're thinking, oh, what's the big deal? Just measure this here and just, and just put that just there. Just do it. Yeah, when you're making one, <laughs> or when you're making 5,000, and, and you're training other people in your factory, everything has to be um, pretty systematic. Yeah, I mean... I didn't know that all that went into making underwear. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, I it's had no tough. idea. My daughter sews and I just see her in there with, and she'll be like, mom, can you hold this? And I'm like, sure. And then she just like snips something up and then there, you're good to go. But um, <laughs> you see, that's what I thought. <laughs> and it took me two years to figure out that I was wrong. Oh man, what a journey. That's also the benefit of being a nurse, which is knowing what's going to work for a patient and what isn't. And knowing the problem that you're solving, I've always said that it's it's important to have a nurse on your team, even if the nurse is not the inventor, because the things that we see in a clinical setting, and I talk about that in my new book, Let It Flow, the things that we see, others may not see. And that's certainly not to disparage the role of a physician or any of the other roles in the hospital, but the truth is the truth. Nurses are there throughout the patient's life in the in the hospital, the, their stay or their admission, or if, if you will. And that's when we get to see a lot of things. So you need to have a nurse on the team or nurses really need to innovate because we have that that front frontline view. Yeah. And you had said that when we started, you know, about other nurses inventing. A lot of nurses have a lot of inventions, but not every nurse is willing to do the next step, which is a policy that we have at Cathware. There's a thousand steps we can only do one right now. Sure, when we do one, there's always another one, right? There's always another step. 
but we just do the one that's right in front of us. Yeah. I mean, that's, I was reading this book. I don't know if you've um, heard of it. It's called the 12 week year and it talks about, um, all of the amazing ideas that people have and the difference between those who um, have ideas and then those that become successful with the ideas is execution on that first step. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, and, it, and it's tough, especially through, through things like COVID, you know, we launched um, right before COVID it was um, October of 2019. So we started, uh, we got on Amazon. We have a four and a half star rating now on Amazon uh, going on a year and a half. We have a five-star rating on Google, again, going on a year and a half. So by the time 2020 hit, we had all of these negotiations set up. We had, I mean, we were gaining so much momentum because of the innovative design of Cathware. And once COVID hit, the shutdown happened, the elective surgeries stopped because the hospitals had to pivot. So that, and that's when patients get the leg bags, when they get the drains placed for the elective surgeries. You know, what were we going to do? Well, we, there was always something to do. And that's another thing that I talk about in my book, Let It Flow, that there's always something to do along this journey. So what we started doing was um, setting up the, the shipping structure, which is my basement, <laughs> you know, on, on how to set everything up. But we were getting labels. We were buying boxes. We were getting everything ready. We were working with the manufacturer um, that we, we have now and just getting other orders, getting other sizes in measurements and things like that. There's always something to do. And I believe that the reason why people fail is because they either don't do that next step, they don't know the next step, or they don't seek the next step. So you you mentioned your book. I, I read the book and it is fantastic. So for those of you who have not read Let It Flow, go check it out. Let It Flow by uh, Brian Mojica. You can find it on Amazon. So, I mean, you talk about like your journey, you talk about all of these different Failures, and you just mentioned the top three that you have. Talk us through, you know, when, how you discovered those three failures and how, you know, what you can do to kind of address them. Well, the, the failures are going to come, right? Like everything and like whether you invent or not, you're going to experience failure. Whether you open a business or not, you're going to experience failure. For me, I, even in my personal life, uh, things that, that have been a setback for me, things that have been a stumbling block for me. Sometimes those things, they can really hinder the life of a human. But for me, I just wanted to use it as a, a bumper of, of where not to be, you know, of, of negative experiences. And I did a lot of that through Cathware. Uh, one of the mistakes that I made in, in my journey of, of inventing uh, Cathware or medical underwear for urology patients Nurses tend to lead by emotion. We are emotionally driven, which is why we're nurses. And man, did I find out the hard way that that, those emotions will really hinder your ability to lead and also in the business world as well, which is why I wrote that book, Let It Flow, because I just remember thinking to myself, like, do other people know what what I've learned? You know, like, it doesn't matter. I used to have our team meetings and be like, Oh my God, I spoke to a patient today and the patient said that they love Cathware and, and, and it really improved their quality of life. But they bought one. Like, are they going to buy a hundred? And I'd be like, what do you mean? Are they going to buy a hundred? Like they bought one and they're happy. That's not, that's not the way it's going to work, right? It's, it's numbers driven. So that was one of the mistakes that I made that I believe a lot of nurses make. 
Um, the other mistake was thinking that everything had to go through me because I was the nurse, because I was the inventor, not realizing that, as the saying goes, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And I had to learn to let my business partners make decisions along the project and live with those decisions, even if I didn't agree with them necessarily, because if they grew through their decision-making, and then that means that I'm growing. That means that the company is growing. And a lot of times we want to rule with an iron fist, you know, or we, we've come to projects with a lot of degrees, which we have, you know, make the, the false connection that a lot of degrees means that you have the ability to lead. And it doesn't necessarily mean that. It means that you're bright. It means that you're committed, but it doesn't mean that you're able to lead and to delegate. So it's at the point now where I'm making about 20% of the decisions at Cathware. And that's why we're successful because I'm not making all of the decisions. And I've learned uh, where to pick my spots and where other people's spots are greater and trust in them. So those are some mistakes and some things that I've done to turn them into a positive. Yeah, I love that. And you're you're absolutely right. A title, a degree, none of that prepares you to lead. And I would even argue, even if you get a degree in leadership, it's not preparing you completely to lead because you need that experience. Now, you talked about a really great point, and that's really delegating. Um, you know, and I, I believe that as a leader, your number one job is to grow other leaders. It's not to increase revenue, not to this, that blah, blah, blah. It's really to grow other leaders. And you mentioned that you had that journey with, you know, delegating and now only making 20% of the decisions. Talk me through that moment, that aha moment you had where you realized, like, I have got to delegate. Like what, what happened or what did that? I want to pretend like I was there with you. Well, you have to understand, you know, we as nurses, we're always talking about assessments, assessments, assessments. But sometimes the greatest assessment you do is of yourself and realize what your abilities are and what they're not. I'm very, I'm a big proponent of being transparent. Um, you know, I'm very transparent with uh, things in my personal life, um, with the people in my circle and in my community. And I'm also very transparent in my professional life with the mistakes that I've made And I am very comfortable with things that I don't know. I'm very comfortable in saying that I don't know. I'm very comfortable in allowing myself to be vulnerable. And the world, especially the corporate world, teaches you against all of that. You got to know, you got to, like, you got to, you got to know what you're doing. Like you're, like, you got to be a leader. Like you got to, you don't. What you need to do is you need to make a list of your strengths and make a list of your weaknesses and then hire your weaknesses, which is what I did. And that's what I talk about in the book. Like, I don't even know how to spell business plan. I didn't know what a business plan was. I love it. I love saying that. I didn't know what a business plan was. I didn't know how to the structure and people like, oh, you have a business plan. And then after you have a plan, it starts to change later on. And I'm like, well, why would I make a business plan if it's going to change later on? Why wouldn't I just do it as I go? But I hired someone, my childhood friend, Edwin Alvarez. He has his degree, his master's degree in business. He hates everything nursing. He faints at the sight of blood. <laughs> he doesn't like any of the things that you and I probably like. Like, I remember uh, working in the operating room and just, you know, watching open surgery. I could eat a steak dinner with no problem watching that stuff. Ditto. That's my strength. The medical stuff was my strength. Interaction, interacting with patients, uh, doctors, family members, and things 
like that. The emotional stuff, that was my strength. The vision for Cathware, the way I wanted it to look, the way that I wanted customer service to be, and all of those other things, even the logo, the name, and the brochure where the trademark sign was, like all that stuff, I really wanted to, to, to hold on to that and really push the vision there. But I knew that I couldn't do it everywhere else. So the things with the business plan, negotiating contracts, um, you know, uh, inventory uh, and things like that. I just didn't want to deal with that Excel spreadsheets and, and, you know, and maybe we should do this or maybe we should do that financially. I didn't want to do any of that. So that's where Edwin Alvarez came in. Then I hired another childhood friend, um, everyone that's associated with Cathware is right from our, our hometown. I believe in, in giving back into the community and pulling other people up with you. So I, I didn't know how to uh, set up a website and do online you know, shopping. I'm, I'm 43. I buy, I go to the store, you know, I try things on, like, you know, I put them around my neck to see if it fits on my waist and those things that we learned are growing up. Well, I hired someone, uh, Miguel Lopez, and he has a, an amazing eye for marketing and he comes in and, you know, he sets up everything at Amazon and he optimizes it. Let me tell you something. Amazon is not like you just put a product and that's it. It is a science. So when we thought that we had Amazon all optimized and we're like, oh, we got like three sales, you know, in a month, (laughs) we were excited. And Miguel comes in and he showed us this rating that tells you like uh, whatever out of 10 uh, on a scale of of zero to 10. And we thought that we were a 10 out of 10 and it was a four out of 10. And he came in and he was like, dude, you guys got this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. Once he set that up. The sales uh, went up in Amazon and we're number one with a four and a half star rating in two years. So to go back to the original question, it's it's recognizing what your weaknesses are, being okay with it, being transparent with it, and then going out and getting help there in those spots. That's how you build your team. You know, I don't want to, I don't necessarily want another nurse that's going to help me talk about the medical stuff. Because I know that I don't want to duplicate myself yet at this point. I want to find someone that doesn't know what I know. And that's another thing that we need to do in leadership as well. Leader to leader is be transparent and talk about our failures. And that's why I wrote that book, Let It Flow. It just talks about the whole experience of realizing that I did have a good product. I was a good leader, but there were things that I didn't know. And I had to match all of that and tie it in together in order to, to impact healthcare the way that Cathware is right now. Now, now tell me your vision for the book. Like if you, if somebody reads it, what do you want their takeaway to be? Like, what do you want them to say? Oh my gosh, this book fulfilled fill in the blank. I want them to not quit. That's, that's my goal. Um, I quit. My Cathware is not my first invention. Uh, my first invention, I quit on it. Um, it was a, my, our two month old at the time is nasal passage was blocked. We actually thought he was going to die in his sleep. He just, he couldn't breathe and we weren't able to sleep. It just sounded like he just needed to blow his nose. The little blue suction thing they give you in the maternity ward, uh, that thing couldn't lift a dead fly. It's not very, very effective. So I went into the operating room. I grabbed the a yank hour off the wall with some suction tubing and I went home and I, I put the I blocked one nostril and put the bowl at the end, cut the mucus out, but I cut the tubing really long so that the mucus would stay stuck in the tubing, not go in my mouth. And then I'd rinse it out with saline afterward. And he slept like a baby, pun intended. 
So I was already in inventor mode and I'm like, oh, what if I add a motor on the end of this and like different suction levels and, and you know, and have it a new device to clear the nasal passage. Because if it happened to our son, maybe it happened to other people as well. Well, I made the biggest mistake in that you can make in anywhere in life, but especially when you're innovating and that's asking people questions, seeking people's approval and trying to get people to tell me to do it. And that's really the, the story, the hidden story behind Cathware, I mean, behind Let It Flow is I share that story. I think it was like a year or two later, one of the people that told me that it was stupid and that it would never sell saw it on the shelves at Walmart and sent a picture of it to me. And that picture is actually uh, in my book. I showed it to his pediatrician. His pediatrician was like, oh, this is it's going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars. And the FDA is never going to approve it because it goes inside the baby's nose and anything that goes um, near the baby's brain. But this is what I mean. About you're the expert. You have the PhD for your invention because the, the suction device, um, the yank hour has a bulb at the end of it. So it doesn't go inside. So it doesn't go near the brain. It sits externally. And I remember when the doctor was saying that instead of me like, you know, realizing that the doctor in this case didn't know what they were talking about because it doesn't go in. I kind of cowered to it because I wasn't confident in the design. I didn't know that I was actually able to be an inventor. It was that imposter syndrome that a lot of us deal with, you know, and that's the story behind it is not quitting. So that's my, my drive now. That's why once I got a hold of Cathware, I said, I'm not going to stop. I want to know what happens if I do the next step. I want to know what happens if I just don't quit. Here we are now on the international stage. Wow. That is friggin' awesome. <laughs> Thank um, you. So for those folks that are out there, they're like, you know, I kind of have an idea or maybe they don't have an idea, but they want to have an idea and they're thinking about it. And then they get to the point where they're like, well, I have an idea, but like, I'm broke. I got student loans and I am in the middle of COVID and I ain't getting overtime anymore. <laughs> like, what would you tell them around? How do you get your innovation to life when you're broke? Well, first of all, they need to realize that they need to get in line because everybody's broke when they start <laughs> uh, innovating. You know, nobody has money around here. I've been doing this for nine years and I've yet to make one dollar from my own pocket. Um, if somebody would have told me, you know, nine years ago in 2012, when I got the vision, hey, it's going to be 2021 and you're still not going to be receiving a paycheck from this invention. Like I thought I was going to be a multimillionaire. I was going to be like, you know, being fed grapes and all of these uh, <laughs> peeled grateful thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought that I'd be where I am now. Yet at the same time, I feel so fulfilled. Even because I'm, and you can't be driven by money. If you do things for money, then that's what you'll get is just money. But when you do things to solve a problem, when you create value, when you're helping patients, the money will eventually come. I mean, Cathware is obviously generating revenue and we just keep pouring it right back into the company and just growing it and growing it. And at some point, you know, I'm sure that I'll be compensated, but the journey is the compensation. Uh, to go back to your question and answer it directly, the way that we were able to generate revenue, it's it's been it's been interesting. A lot of uh, pitch contests, uh, you'd be amazed at the the prizes that they give and their cash prizes uh, that they're giving you that you can invest into your business. There's a lot of accelerator programs similar to a pitch contest. Um, you know, the pitch contest is maybe a, a one-time thing, and then the accelerator you kind of jump into it for three four months. You do the things that they need, and then you do you end it with a pitch contest uh, there. 
There's a lot of uh, small business loans. There's a lot of loans and, and things like that in your community of, of investors that are willing to invest into your company. And you'd be surprised that at these, um, you know, thousand, two thousand dollar um, deals that you can get here and there with these types of programs. You know, we want to we want a contest that was fifty thousand. I mean, we took that fifty thousand and we put it. It was the Hofstra Veterans Challenge. We put that and ramped up our marketing and our inventory. And I didn't know any of that. I didn't know when we started. When I had the vision in the operating room, I didn't think to myself, "Oh, well." I'm going to win all these contests. And, and I didn't know what I did was, is I just did, as we've been saying throughout the show, that next step. And then everything just starts to manifest itself. And now you start to generate options. And also in, in another thing too, when you're a nurse and you have an invention, people trust nurses. I think it's 17, 18 years that we're the number one trusted profession. There's value in that. So when you invent a product and you're a nurse, I mean, it could be a ketchup bottle with a flashlight, but the <laughs> fact that it's a nurse that invented it, like, wow, it must be some life-saving ketchup <laughs> because nurses. So we have to ride that momentum, right? Which is, and that's why I wrote Let It Flow when I did uh, for, you know, at the end of last year, because it was the year of the nurse. I was like, wow, let me, let me ride this momentum. I believe in momentum, you know, and, and there's so many ways to generate revenue but you're never going to generate revenue unless you start. And people want to invest in that. You know, we got uh, initial funding from friends and family you know, that one of the people that we knew, he, he, he had uh, more than others. And then some, one of the investors that we knew, he didn't have that much, but it was enough for what you give someone that doesn't have a job a hundred dollars. It's like a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we need to get over that because I didn't know, we were going to generate revenue in this fashion. And that's another thing that I talk about in my book, Let It Flow, is these the ways that we went about doing that. And I think once we can see, oh, I don't really need money. I just need a good idea. Then you're, you, you'll have a lot more confidence. I talk about the patent process as well and how to be successful in that too. Yeah, I've heard the patent processes could be challenging. So it's definitely good to hear that you cover that because I, I know um, even like I, I know tra- trademarks are not the same as patents, but even just navigating like the trademark thing. I yeah, did that similar, on my own and it was like, thing. you know, uh, you have to learn learn the lingo a little to understand what they're asking for. Yeah, well, and there's a lot of downtime. And one of the, the I, I love analogies. I, I'm a visual learner. Uh, so I like to use a lot of analogies to so that we can all get to the common ground and, and see what it is that each of us sees. So the example that I wrote in my book, Let It Flow, is like you put a turkey in the oven. Like you don't put the turkey in the oven and then you sit there. Well, some people might. Right? Like you put the turkey in the <laughs> oven and now you're doing the dishes and oh, you're yeah. getting the mashed potatoes, you're cleaning, you're doing laundry, you yeah. may be running an errand. So when that turkey is done and it comes out of the oven, it's going on the table and everybody's ready to eat. So there's always something to do when you are building a brand or when you're opening your company. Again, some people don't realize that, but there was always something for us to do when we were waiting on the patent process. We were waiting on the manufacturers. We were become we, we were applying for our Medicare approval. We're the only product in our category that's Medicare approved. We're the only product in our category that's invented by nurses. We're the only product in our category 
that's invented by a veteran. Those, so we became veteran certified, we're minority certified. We got the Medicare approval. You know, in all of the, we were doing invention contests. So we didn't have to have a thriving business in order to get into these accelerator programs. But we were now generating revenue. So now when the prototype was finished and we were ready to buy, now we had our revenue. We had our meetings with the investors and things like that. We had the logo. We had brochures. There's always something to do. You've just really laid an amazing roadmap in terms of from start to finish and kind of some things that you want to anticipate. What would you tell a nurse who's like, I have a really good idea. I have the vision for it. It's like something that's really passionate to me. But I also have kids at home I need to feed or oh, but I also want to kind of eat myself. How how do you navigate that? How do you navigate knowing there's not going to be some income or what do you do to supplement your income or how did you do it? It's hard. Um, I can tell that you read the book because everything that you're talking about is is what's in the book. I don't believe really figure it out. Uh, I'm very fortunate that my wife is just she's just behind me. She's behind the vision. And I mean, you're, you're not around, you can't be at two places <laughs> at once. You know, um, I, I, I'm always there for my kids when I need to be there. And then after when they go to bed, I'd be up you know, 10, 11, 12, one. I mean, sometimes we've had business meetings at 11 o'clock at night. I'd be tired, you know, three, four hours of sleep. I'd get up, you know, a lot of exercising and just really trying to balance the time. Some days, I'd, I'd fail. Sometimes my wife was not so supportive, right? <laughs> Sometimes I, 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 maybe I wasn't there to do something uh, for the kids because I forgot or I wanted to go to a meeting or I was flying somewhere, things like that. And as maybe somebody else has a different answer, but for me, I don't think you ever really figure it out. I think you just kind of run downhill and, you know, you break your ankle, you just keep running, but you get down the hill. Yeah. You know, but everything can be done with support. For me, I just looked at the patients. I looked at the patients and the things that they were struggling with. And I wanted, man, passion will drive you further than money ever could. And I just have a, those phone calls that I get from patients. We have 150 reviews, I believe, maybe over that now on Amazon, reading them. I mean, the, the impact that we're making in people's lives, you couldn't pay me enough to feel what I feel knowing that I'm helping people, you know, and, and those are things that, that drive your passion. And the things with the family, something sacrifices. And sometimes I went out with my wife when I got on LinkedIn. It was like the best decision that I made, man. It was, it was a lot of people that I met. I met you uh, there on LinkedIn as well. And then as I was making those connections, I remember going out with my wife and she had to take my phone and put it in her purse on silent. And that's when I knew that I was like, wow, it's, it's a lot. Like you're trying to mm-hmm. balance it all. Because every time the phone went off, I had a, a, a connection from LinkedIn. I wanted to already start like, oh. <laughs> speaking with that person because I knew they were on the phone at that moment that they accepted the connection request. So I'd be like, <laughs> biting your nails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, check, please. <laughs> and you're done, right? Honey, I just had water. It's okay. Yes. It's time to go. Yeah. <laughs> you should have seen me in the restaurant. Listen, oh my God, really? That happened at uh. work? I can't believe it. I can't believe it. <laughs> oh my God. We got to give your wife the gold star for that one because um, she, uh, you probably deserved yeah. a can of whoop, you know, yeah, uh, many times. Definitely. Uh, yeah, that's hilarious. But it's true, right? There is, I mean, I, I um, 
don't really believe that there's such a thing as work-life balance. But what I do believe is that um, you can prioritize the important things that matter in your life and then be very intentional about how you set your day so that even if you only have 10, 15 minutes to do whatever you want to do with your kids, make that 10 to 15 minutes the best 10 to 15 minutes that you could possibly make it. Um, because Absolutely. I think, you know, quality over quantity anytime um, with That's whoever good. it is. So. Uh, definitely agree. I know as I've yeah. um, grown my business, same thing. I, I um, have been very intentional about um, managing and getting it in. And it was so funny because I met with, uh, um, so I'm in a mastermind and one of my mastermind person, I, I said, so I made a comment. And I said, how do you fit it all in? Like, how do I fill it all in? And he's like, Chris, you don't fit it all in. He's like, you realize you get to choose what you do, right? Like there's like, there's nobody in that driver's seat. You choose what you do and how you spend your day. Nobody else can do that for you. And so I kind of was like, oh my gosh, I choose. Yeah. I get to choose what I do. You said that when we started, um, you know, you, when I congratulated you on getting your doctorate, you said, man, if I would have known, I would have done it later on. So I know that, you know, that there's, it's, it's difficult to balance um, certain things. I mean, but but what are you going to do? You know, either you're balancing these projects or you're not doing these projects and you're balancing something else. And these things, they're going to impact our children's lives. And those were things that I would explain to the family as well, Um, you know, in a loving way. You know, if if you want this, um, if you want these types of things, if you see these things happening in our family, I need to do this. Um, And that's the importance of delegating because when um, we hired Miguel, I used to like doing the shipping for Cathware. Like I, I just knowing that I invented something and I'm packaging it up <laughs> and I'm sending it to a patient. I'd be like, buy Cathware. <laughs> oh my gosh. You wrap um, your baby but, up in a bundle before you send yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Like just send it out. Bye, folks, man. But then I knew that I needed, I wanted to breathe. So when Miguel came, I said, no, now you do the shipping. He does all the, and he's like, Oh, I'll do the shipping. He said, we can send all the inventory to Amazon. And all we have to do is click buttons and Amazon does the shipping. I didn't know that. I'm over here packaging it up in my own house and things like that. So that was the importance of delegating. Once he took over the shipping, I had so much more free time. And and again, you just try to figure it out. I mean, now I'm going for my master's because I have free time. So it's like you, you you just keep going. But don't quit because there's a lot of patients that are counting on, on nurses to push their ideas forward. And you'd be amazed at, at what passion will get you if you want to help a patient. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the the entire role could be changed in so many ways. And I, I like to think of it as like how many people are suffering because you're not getting off your butt and producing what it is that would make their life better. Um, so it's just really important as I wake up, you know, I, I have a little saying on my desk and it says um, to make the people that I serve feel like the most important people in the world. And that's how I live my life. Like I really do aim to create products and things that are really going to increase um people's life satisfaction and that just gives me satisfaction the same way Cathware is giving you satisfaction so i um i definitely agree with that and i i think it's an important thing to remember every day as you're going through you know one of the things that i did to help me with the delegation was i created a work plan and on the work plan it has a couple columns and so one column is like who's doing it and then the next column is what it is like you know the project name or title or job task whatever 
And then very in the middle, it was like the detail and it had the very specific things. So for an example, it would be like a scheduling my podcast and exactly how I would schedule it, like which platforms I'm using and all this stuff. And then it would have the amount of time I'm taking on doing that weekly and then ongoing or if there was a deadline for that. And um, I did that with all of my tests. And what I chose to do was look at um, like ordering them in terms of priority. Like, which ones do I absolutely have to do? And so I did them in priority, and then I looked at which ones do I absolutely need to do. So, for example, recording this podcast, like, it's my show, so my voice obviously has to be there. I can't delegate that. But then there's so many other things that I could. So I took everything that was on that list and everything that I didn't have to do, like, it didn't have to be me, I delegated it. And so it was a really easy way to look at, like, how to delegate it. And then because I put all the detail in there around how... I was did each thing. It was an orientation guide for the person that I delegated it to. I could sit down and say, hey, these are the tools I use. This is how I do it. This is how often. This is how long it should take you. So it was really um, a cool tool in terms of delegation because I think a lot of us, we know how to delegate like, you know, things for patients to staff on the floor maybe. But when it comes to being a leader, delegation, especially if you're like leading with friends. I know I've led with friends before and I'm just like, eh, I'll just pick it up because she's my friend. Um, you know, so it's harder to let it go sometimes when you're trying to help somebody out or if you think you're the only one that knows how to do it the right way. Yeah, I know. Yeah, again, right? Uh, pride, arrogance, <laughs> yeah. things like that. You know, and another thing that I learned too, as, as you were speaking, I was thinking about the things um, that, that like this program and things that you're working on, it truly is a collective effort in order to reach patients. I've met so many um, people on LinkedIn that have these types of platforms. These types of platforms, it's kind of like the the mouth for the body of nurses are these types of programs. It's just as important as the innovation itself. It shows solidarity and it's bringing awareness. It's letting other people know, hey, I have a program. Not only do I have a program, but I'm going to bring um, healthcare workers here. I'm going to bring inspirational speakers here. Somebody will pick up something that maybe just push them to that next step that we were talking about. Um, and it's 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 all important. Everybody's is important. And similar to when I started pitching cathware and I go into you know, hospitals and and doctor's offices and things like that. And they'd be like 10 surgeons sitting in the room. Talk about imposter syndrome. I'd be like, and then I started saying to myself, like, wait a minute, I'm the expert here. Like they don't know about cathware. I do, you know, and realizing that I have this, this, this role. And then I would say to myself, yeah, but you didn't really invent, um, you know, the cure for cancer. It's kind of like an underwear. Like how really important is that? Here's the thing. If you solve a problem and another nurse solves a problem and another nurse solves a problem, and another nurse solves, we have now covered the patient from a holistic vantage point. So it really doesn't matter what it is that you invent. It matters the problem that you solve that now we can check it off the list. You yeah. know, and, and, and your program is helping a lot of people, highlighting a lot of people so that other nurses say, man, she always has people on that show. Either I'm going to do a show or I'm going to invent something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I I was reading an article the other day that talked about uh, nurses highlighting other nurses and it, in the article kind of twisted in um, AI. And it was interesting because it was like a conversation about uh, healthcare people and they were talking about AI and technology and if it's good or if it's bad. And so as an inventor, you know, especially if it's an inventor thinking about how to implement or, or create um, or utilize technology in a new way, 
what are your thoughts around like how we change our mindset in terms of how we think about technology? Um, what are your thoughts around that? We're living in a time now where nurses are being looked at as innovators because there's so many of us doing different things. We weren't, I did, I never saw this role. Nursing school, there was never a class on this. I never, before I got on LinkedIn, I didn't even know that there were other nurse inventors. Like I thought I was just on this island by myself <laughs> because I didn't know. I really didn't know. I actually got on LinkedIn looking for a lead that I had connected with face to face in Boston, um, but lived in, in another state. So I was like, oh, let me get on LinkedIn. And one thing led to another. And I was like, whoa, there's other nurse inventors here. And that's when I was able to really grow because I don't, you should never want to be a big fish in a little pond. You're never going to grow like that. You never want to grow uh, being the smartest person in the room. We've all heard the quote. You know, I wanted to be on, on LinkedIn where there were people that had, you know, higher degrees um, than the ones I have and, and people that were going to help me grow and that I was going to be learning from. And it was just it was like a, a, a kid in a, in a playground. And, and what it's going to take to truly push through that is reaching out to others, encouraging others, and being transparent, supporting one another and supporting one another. It means like, you know, if, if I'm selling apples and you're looking for apples and we know each other, like don't go buy apples someplace else. You know what I mean? And that's where we really fail. Now, maybe you do have a friend that buys apples. Yeah, then you buy it from them. But the people that know me should be buying the apples from me. And just like that, that's how we're going to be able to really grow this thing and push forward. And, and nurses, especially with what happened after COVID, this is our chance now. This is our chance to truly, truly show our role in healthcare and how close we work with patients. It doesn't matter that it's not the cure for cancer. It matters that you're solving the problem. And who knows, maybe the problem you're solving might end up uh, in the cure for cancer. You just don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, after they get, you know, uh, surgery and they get a Foley, after um, some type of a cancer, they can get cathware. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, Brian, I have had an amazing time connecting with you today. I love your story. Um, you just have shared so much knowledge um, and really inspired the nursing inventor and all of us. If folks want to find out more about you, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn and also my email at brian.mojita at cathware.com, which is on uh, my LinkedIn profile. And uh, you can get to know a little more about me uh, if you purchase my book on Amazon called Let It Flow. Awesome. All right. Well, I've had an amazing time. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been great. 